Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, September 25th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state's drained health care system may soon see an increase in revenue from Medicaid, but some doctors say it's not sustainable. Then, it has been six months since a massive tornado ripped across the lower Mississippi Delta into Alabama. It killed at least 23 people and injured dozens more. A look at the rebuilding effort underway. Plus, we speak with one of the plaintiffs in a legal challenge of House Bill 1020, the law that expands Capitol Police jurisdiction and creates a court with limited jurisdiction as well. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves has announced plans to expand the reimbursement rates of Medicaid to be closer to that of private insurance. But some doctors say it may not be enough to help stabilize the struggling health care system. The plan is estimated to boost revenues for the hospitals by a total of $689 million next year with the one-time money. Now, his plan must be approved by the federal government before it takes effect. Our Will Stribling speaks with Dr. John Godet, professor of clinical sciences at William Carey University. He says this funding will help hospitals, but only in the short term. I'm glad he's doing it. Our hospitals are really in dire straits and, and will benefit from this program, and I'm very glad about it. But as a physician, my focus really is uh, less on the business aspects of running a hospital and more on the health care of the patients that are going to that hospital. To me, health care access is something that people have a right to. Uh, if you are a diabetic, uh, there's no reason for you to not have access to insulin or to screenings. If you have asthma, I believe uh, in this country, you need to have access to an inhaler or preventative medications. Um, and, and I believe everyone, especially children, and that's my career is pediatrics, have the right to uh, access preventative care, which gives you the best chance to live the healthiest life possible. And also, if you want to look at it from a business standpoint, the, at the lowest cost. I'm happy for the hospitals that they're going to get some relief Uh, But I believe Medicaid expansion will provide access to health care, whether that's treating chronic disease or preventing disease or or alleviating human suffering. Those are the things that will improve the lives of Mississippians, thousands of Mississippians. And I implore the governor to continue to look. And he characterized uh, Medicaid expansion as, putting able-bodied people on the welfare rolls. And uh, that, I believe, is a misconception. Most of the people who would benefit from Medicaid expansion are already working. We have to remember that these are our neighbors and our family members, and providing that access to health care is part of who we are as a people in Mississippi. We take care of each other. We take care of our own, and I believe that's what we need to do. Are you worried at all about how this this new proposal and then if it's approved and implemented will uh, change the conversation around uh, potentially expanding Medicaid 
fully, you know, a few weeks ago, Jason White said that that that, that option was actually going to be on the table in the House for the first time. Uh, I don't think so, because expanding Medicaid and providing access to health care for as broad a segment of the population as we can is popular and is bipartisan. I understand that the governor is in a tough spot in terms of trying to please a bunch of different people, and there's a lot of moving parts to this discussion. But as time goes on, more and more people, and we're talking people from all walks of life, understand and agree with and support and see the benefit of providing access to coverage for all Mississippians. whether that may be they have their private insurance or through Medicare or if they're already on Medicaid, and for those that have none of the above, providing Medicaid coverage to those individuals. Because when we're all healthy, we have a better economy, a better society, and we are taking care of each other. So, no, I I don't see this as a way for him to thwart the discussion uh, because – uh, it is not going it, it doesn't meet the need of providing that coverage to individuals so i think that that conversation will continue and i hope the governor is going to be an active participant in that conversation in your view how is it becoming more politicized now than it has been because i mean ever since medicaid expansion first came onto the table it's been a, a red versus blue issue yeah well The governor referred to Medicaid expansion as Obamacare. Well, you know, Obama is not the president anymore. Obama did not think of this issue. You know, it doesn't matter what you want to call it. And when when asked, why are you looking at this now instead of earlier in your term, he just made a comment about being criticized. And as in the most earnest way possible, I would like to ask the governor why right here, uh, you know, two months before an election that he has sort of seen the light on health care. It, it does not pass the smell test, especially because he has been Medicaid falls under the governor's office. And this has been within his purview throughout the entirety of his uh, governorship. And so to be occurring in an election year, causes me to wonder if this is becoming a political football. And I just want to remind everybody that there are human lives at stake here. People with asthma need their inhalers, whether it's an election year or not. Uh, And I, I, I worry that people are forgetting the human aspect and turning it into uh, I don't know, a talking point or something. What did you think about the fact that part of the proposal was uh, reforms to the prior authorization process that he himself vetoed this year and that the plan, you know, that those, the MHAP payments element of the plan is something that his own, that Mississippi Division of Medicaid said earlier this year wouldn't work. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, it's the, you know, the policies that, that the governor is championing so close to election day? It makes me wonder who is more influential at capital. Is it insurance companies or is it people, citizens? Um, And I'm hoping that this signifies a shift in focus away from lobbies and, and corporations and more on 
good governance and the health of individual Mississippians. And and if that's the case, then let's do the right thing and expand Medicaid and expand access to insurance for those in need of it, keeping the focus on people. And, yes, we want corporations to do well. We need corporations and businesses uh, to do well, but we have to balance. In Jackson, I want the legislature to have their number one priority be on the citizens of Mississippi. Dr. John Godet is a professor of clinical sciences at William Carey University. Coming up, it's been six months since a catastrophic tornado ripped across the lower Mississippi Delta. It killed at least 23 people and injured dozens more. We'll have an update on rebuilding efforts. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio, helping you correct your auto problems. Our host is Coach Charlie Milton, ASC Certified Master Technician. Let me help save you some money working on your cars. Listen to our podcast, AutoCorrect. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It has been six months since a massive tornado ripped across the lower Mississippi Delta and into Alabama. At least 23 people were killed and dozens injured. Communities caught in the path of the storm are still rebuilding. Maya Miller with the Gulf States Newsroom reports some residents fear they're being left behind. Amy Burnett stands watch as a group of workers nail sheetrock into the studs of what used to be her living room. Her house is one of four on her street in Silver City, currently being repaired. This entire side right here was gone. Bedroom, bathroom, part of the kitchen was gone. Visible through a newly installed window pane is a temporary FEMA trailer. Burnett and her children have been living there for months. She says it's been a good solution, but also the only one she was offered. I wish the mayor and the county would do more. As you see, nothing's getting done. But a load of dirt. They did bring us a load of dirt. That's it. (laughs) That's it. A load of dirt. She'll use that dirt to even out the ground near her damaged home and to fill holes left behind by uprooted trees. But... Burnett says she's frustrated that no officials have come to check on them. Instead, she's relying on the goodwill of volunteers. Andrew Kimber is coordinating those volunteers who are helping rebuild Burnett's home. He isn't from Silver City, but Belzona, a town that's about seven miles away. He says it's been difficult to watch as neighbors try to figure out their options to rebuild. Many here don't have a lot of money or adequate homeowners insurance. Federal relief is available, but Kimber says it's not enough. FEMA can only help you to $41,000. $41,000 is not enough to build a house. It's not even a pitch in the pail. He's referring to the maximum limit of housing assistance under or uninsured residents can receive from FEMA after a major disaster. But Kimber also says manpower has run out, too. When things happen, people come and help out. When you get to two to three weeks in, everybody gone. 
then that when people really realize that it's just how to fend for themselves. In nearby Rolling Fork, the steady stream of work trucks and volunteers seen in March has slowed down. A donation center where people could come to find things like clothing and canned goods closed nearly two weeks ago. This leaves residents to clear the shelves at the Stop and Shop or Dollar General. Milk, bottled water, and meat are low at both. Tracy Harden owns Chuck's Dairy Bar, which was destroyed by the tornado. The whole roof was gone off the building before he could close the door. She Um, and eight others ran into the walk-in freezer, which protected them from flying debris. Six months later, she's still shaken by that night. I try not to. Just try not to think about it. Uh, It's hard to talk about it. She's Um, been working out of a small food truck, first offering free meals right after the storm hit. Now she's selling breakfast plates and things like fried chicken and sandwiches. She's glad to have some income toward rebuilding her restaurant now that people are moving back and the community is coming alive again. I'm trying to give hope and trying to give love and just constantly show that. And even through all of this, um, find the good in every day. And her restaurant is coming along. She's got her slab down, and her plumbing and the building pieces have arrived. She's just waiting on contractors to come back and put it up. To her, the sooner Chuck's Dairy Bar can reopen, the sooner she can bring joy back to her community. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Maya Miller. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, we speak with one of the plaintiffs in a legal challenge of House Bill 1020. That law expands capital police jurisdiction and creates a court with limited jurisdiction in Hines County. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Peter O'Dowd. The UAW expanded its strike against GM and Stellantis, but not Ford. How are negotiations going? Plus, the author of a new novel about an intense high school friendship made a discovery while writing it. Like one of his characters, he is trans. When fiction and real life converge, next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. If you aren't near a radio, you can still listen to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. You can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone or listen online at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. One of the Jackson residents who challenged House Bill 1020 is praising the state Supreme Court's decision to overturn part of the law. The ruling will bar the chief justice from appointing judges to the Hines County Circuit Court and opens a pathway for appeals to be held. But it does maintain the state's right to create a court within Hines County with limited jurisdiction. Plaintiff Ann Saunders speaks with our Lacey Alexander about how this ruling could affect residents. She calls it a victory. I definitely think of it as a victory. This was this was just an important to me win because I felt like from the beginning that the the Constitution was on our side, and um, I was so grateful that the justices saw what I saw. And I think the rest of the other plaintiffs felt the same way. Um, we're grateful and we're hopeful that this is hopefully going to do several things. One is get people more engaged and aware of what this law 
HB 1020 was really about. And by that, I mean um, that it, it really wasn't about helping Jackson, in my opinion, because if they really wanted to help Jackson, if the legislature wanted to help Jackson, they would have engaged the the people of Jackson. If the legislature really wanted to help Hines County, they would have engaged the people of Hines County. And that, that didn't really happen in this process. And in spite of the fact that you had people going out and letting people, letting, you know, standing in front of the building, you know, protesting, saying, you know, this is not right, this isn't fair, there was no dialogue about it. So this was something that was really foisted on us. And so even though there are aspects of it that, you know, still exist and are uncomfortable, we're going to continue to work towards creating something better. In the ruling, the Supreme Court, it upheld the constitutionality of a CCID court, but ruled that one of the sections of House bill violated the Mississippi Constitution's requirement that the judges of the circuit court shall be elected by the people for four-year terms. Talk to me a little bit about why you feel the judges found that specific point to be a target of change. I think because it was so clear that it was a violation of an individual's opportunity for redress. You know, if you go to a court and, and the judge is appointed, you feel like you have an unfair hearing, you know, and then there's no opportunity for an appeal if if the judge brings down a sentence that is not in your favor, then that, you know, that unfairness was just a, a, a terrible thing to think about in a democracy. And so I just think that it was very important that, you know, the judges felt that did need to be addressed and, and gave us the appeal. You've put in a lot of time for this. 1020 was passed in a legislative session back in the spring. It's been several months now. So much energy and time going into this. And do you feel that this result was worth all of what you put into this case? Absolutely. Without doubt or hesitation. We're talking about people's lives, you know, and so, you know, it may not have impacted uh, or or I might not find myself and I hope I never find myself in the CCID court, but there will be people who do. And so I'm I have to think about the whole I'm thinking about my whole community and I'm thinking about how people want to be treated. And so, yes, it was absolutely worth it to know that. This may help someone down the down the road, yes, without without question. And Anne, I really liked what you said earlier about how you hope this inspires residents like you to get involved and to take stuff like this really seriously. For someone who is also really interested in learning more about this process or for someone who maybe feels like they have a right to stand up against a law in the future, what is your advice to someone that's maybe a little scared or hesitant to put their name out there like you did? Well, I think that there are organizations within um, Jackson that are, are working towards the betterment of the community, and I think those organizations, such as Working Together Jackson, and there are many others that you know can provide you with information and can can help you get engaged, get involved to whatever degree you can, because we don't all necessarily have time. I was fortunate; I'm retired, and so you know I, I had the time and I had the commitment. But I think I think most people have have the desire 
to make their community, you know, the best it can possibly be. But because of the demands of work, child care, your your children's education, all the other demands that are on you um, with regards to the economy, with regards to the environment, everything, it can be a little daunting to say, okay, let me get involved with this too because, you know, I think that's why we elected people um, to handle that for us. But what we have need to understand is in a democracy, really you, everyone's voice counts and everyone has to participate. There are organizations out there, public service opportunities, um, even even with regards to, for instance, um, uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, the fact that you all share information with regards to what's going on in the community. I mean, there there are all sorts of ways to at least initially get information and then get involved. And so this is, this is my way of sort of uh, um, trying to say it doesn't stop here. Let's, let's keep going. It's not necessarily uh, about getting into a fight or a war. It's about struggling towards what we know we want to be as a community, and that's the best possible community we can be. What message do you hope this sends to our leaders? I mean, a civilian challenged a Mississippi law and got a result that they found favorable. What do you hope kind of message this brings to our lawmakers? Well, I think it should remind them of of, of who we are as a as a country. I mean, weren't the patriots civilians who were trying to bring attention to unfairness with regards to what was happening uh, with regards to taxation without representation um, that led us to d- deciding we wanted to be our own country? It wasn't about, you know, developing a legislature that was going to be dictatorial. Hopefully it, it, it reminds them of who we really are, that it's not a threat. It is just that they need to take their responsibility more seriously and recognize that that responsibility is to their constituents and not just to themselves or to their uh, uh, special interest groups, um, but it's to their constituents and, and their constituents they should be going to the constituents of the uh, uh, um, that are going to be impacted most by whatever laws they come up with. That was the thing that was just so unfair about this, that the the people of Jackson, the people of Hines County, they were not consulted. They were just told this is what's going to happen. And and what started out as a good idea, the CCD initially seemed like a good idea because it was supposed to be about beautifying the capital. It was supposed to be about beautifying, you know, the area around the capital, creating new roads and planters and, and so forth and so on. And then it turns into something that, you know, is being used or and even almost used like a weapon against the people of Jackson. Look, I think we all want the same thing. We all want a better Jackson. We all want a better Mississippi. So let's work together to do that. Ann Saunders is one of three plaintiffs in the case challenging the constitutionality of House Bill 1020. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.